Okay, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and everyone else in between. Y'all know what time it is. We are back at it yet again. This is The Football Misfits, home of The Footballing Misfits, episode 151. Whether you was out there watching some international footy, woo, club football back, or just watching the other football. I am your host with the most, LV, a.k.a. Paper Bunto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty. The Sad Spurs fan? Not today. El Pistolero? See? <laughs> and of course, this would not be the Football Misfits unless I was joined by the one, the only, the man with misfits in his name. We've seen him on location many a place, y'all. We've seen him on the mic. We've seen him on the gram. We've heard him on the podcast. He goes by many a name. I know him most definitely as Ronnie. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. What's good for the one time, you international football haters. Hope we're all doing well. Stay strong and be brave. Because apparently one week without club football, we can't. But here we are. Now, the only reason I can't... No, 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 no. And joining us as well this week, the man with... Here we go. The man with all the data and the algorithms. Uh, Not the algorithms. Wait, that's a new one. I like that. I'm going to run with that, actually. So uh, he's got data. He's got algorithms. That's right. JavaScript, maybe? Neither here nor there. Artificial Spence. Intelligent Spence. At the data desk. Spence Tino Perez. Spencer Romano sometimes, Spencer Povich, he's going to catch you in the lies. Why you always lying? Neither here nor there. Oh, my God. <laughs> we know him as Big Spence. Spence, say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love. Peace and love. Baba boom. A lot going on, obviously. International footy is alive and well. And I got to get this in. Sorry, Ronnie. Spurs are playing one game a week. Come on, fam. I, I get one game. That's all I get. You know, I can't handle it. Ange Ball is balling. We're having a good time. Anyway. Well, who decided to tank the Europa Conference League? You see, you can't have it both ways. You don't Antonio want the Conference Conte. League, but you don't want just one game a week. It was Antonio Conte trying to ban ketchup. Who even does that? Like, What are you doing, bro? <laughs> Anyways, neither here nor there. Shot the ketchup. We stand with ketchup. Um, let's let's get into the shits, if you will. International footy. Don't again. get me wrong. I want to get into the international footy. Yes. But we still have some club footy to, you know, dibble into. I might be pulling a bit of an audible here because we definitely didn't talk about this during our pre-pods. Um, this week has been an amazing week to be a footy misfit in the sense that the unofficial official fourth member of the pod is the good man h-man coker hey go ahead h-man and um i know like some of what we spoke about i want him to come on here and defend but the crux of the conversation was about eric ten Hag and manchester united oh you're bringing this back let's go somebody call <laughs> h-man right now <laughs> like, <laughs> right now because that conversation was uh, how do you say it? it's spicy <laughs> we we did we dipped a little bit into the conversation last week on the pod um manchester united as a whole first thinking they won against arsenal and just fumbling the bag and then the Jaden sancho controversy that uh came from it not looking pretty thoughts on the incident 
LV because you weren't here uh, for that part of the conversation last week. Yeah, um, man, it's, I, I, I can kind of see where both parties are coming from. I don't want to be that guy towing the line, but I guess I'm that guy towing the line. But one thing I do want to say is that I do want to give Man United a bit of credence. Uh, I want to give Eric Ten Hag a little bit of slack um, and a little bit of uh, let's let's slow down on violating Manchester United. The Arsenal result was what it was. They crumbled um, very quickly, especially when, you know, uh, Lissandro Martinez goes out and Harry Maguire is already in. So you got to sub in. 36-year-old Johnny Evans, who was there during the Alex Ferguson administration, guys. Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the start of the end for Manchester United that day. It absolutely was. And so I, I want to give United a little bit of slack. They're not as bad as the scoreline reflected or as their results have reflected. That's how I feel. I think Ten Hag has a plan. I think the plan works. I think that they just need to you know, uh, cross their T's and dot their I's, which they're not doing yet. In terms of Jaden Sancho, I kind of forget what he said, but he did drop uh, a huge message, basically saying uh, that he's still fighting for the badge and that you know things don't, things aren't what they seem that you guys think and yada yada yada. And I feel him on that. I think that he's a he can be a productive player. He hasn't been in the Premier League as far as we know, and uh, maybe those folks would be like, "Do it in the Prem," uh, might be uh, kind of ragging on him. But I will. Now, what I will now, uh, I'll let you finish your point real quick. The quote because it's still. It's pinned on his Twitter account. Let me hear it. Please don't believe everything you read. I will not allow people saying things that is completely untrue. I have conducted myself in training very well this week. This is after Ten Hag said he wasn't doing well in training, which is why he didn't get the, the start or even play against Arsenal. I believe there are other reasons for this matter that I won't go into. I've been a scapegoat for a long time, which isn't fair. And then he talked about playing with a smile on his face. But yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I'm more, more so kind of harping on the latter end of what he said in terms of he's still willing to fight for the badge and stuff. I think that's the most important thing. Um, but in terms of the, I guess, contrasting uh, thoughts and sentiments between the coach and the player, clearly there's a disconnect there. Uh, maybe he's not playing to the standard that uh, Ten Hag needs. Maybe Ten Hag does not feel that he is a player that he can, uh, I guess, win with or um, what have you. Um, all in all, I think Sancho is still a, is still a very very good player. I think that his skill set is tough in the Premier League. He's not the most pacey player. He is very technically sound. He can finish, but um, I don't know. Out of bounds though. Um, out of bounds on, on Sancho. Yeah. Uh, I guess it it does cause for a bit of uh, friction when you're directly, um, I guess, contrasting what the manager is saying. You can, you can, I guess you can't be mad at media assuming if you're not giving them the full story. You know that's what journalists are going to do. They're going to try to hunt for what is what's what's happening and what's not. And if they can't find anything, they're going to assume because you're not telling them anything. So that is what it is. But um, I mean, in this case here, Ten Hag said what he said about him in training. And even though Sancho doesn't mention Ten Hag by name, he mentions he's conducted himself in training very well. So it was a direct contradiction of Ten Hag. Exactly. And so I think. In, in that sense, um, I would love to side with Jaden Sancho, but Eric Ten Hag, I think, um, and I'm not a Man United fan by any stretch of the means, but it is a second season in charge. Last season, he did uh, really kind of, um, uh, if you, uh, I guess, shepherd, uh, you know, the sheep, if you will, in, in terms of putting a bit of order into Manchester United. Um, they seem a team that was primed to do better. 
uh, the coming season. They they still need a lot in order to get better, but they picked up great pieces um, last season. This summer, maybe not so much, and I'm sure United fans will tell you the same. But I'm inclined to side with the manager. Sorry, Jaden Sancho. If you're not playing up to his standards, or and again, maybe the manager's being petty, and we've seen this plenty of time. They. They, they, they say it in so many words, or in Ten Hag's case, kind of directly. Um, We've seen it with Ten Hag and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. They're two different players, but still. Yeah, and, and I think the Ronaldo case, Ten Hag uh, had something, because you always look at it from the case of who has the most to gain. And in that, in that situation, I think Ten Hag had a lot to gain in terms of getting the fan base behind him by taking a huge risk. And I think he, that risk paid off, obviously, because Ronaldo gone. Maguire gone and United became an exponentially better side. Uh, now with Sancho, a player who they spend a lot of money on. Um, I don't know. I mean, all signs kind of to me point towards the a little bit of disconnect between the organization, the front office and the what the manager is trying to accomplish. And through that, we get a little proxy war from what the player individually feels and the manager himself. All in all, uh, I want to make the point that I think that Ten Hag probably doesn't feel like Sancho is somebody that can impact the side in a way that he needs it to. And he's basically saying as much. And Sancho is, to be to his credit, uh, trying to keep a face and trying to keep himself, uh, I guess, in the good spirits of the fan base, which is important, to be fair. But I don't know. I think uh, maybe Sancho's days could be numbered. I don't think that Sancho, I don't think that Ten Hag has him in his plans. And I think we've seen this with m different managers and different players. Make room for Fagundo Pelistri. Boom, pow. <laughs> or Garnacho. Or Garnacho. The one quote that's really killing me from this group chat. <laughs> and again, HMN is not here to defend himself, but it's still hilarious to talk about. All this time talking about United, it's like the Cowboys, SMH. That comes from the Data Duck Spencer. If there is one thing that has never been more true that Spencer has ever, ever said uh, is that Manchester United can be the football equivalent of the Dallas Cowboys. Yep, that is a fact. That is a fact, in my opinion. So I guess Spencer, the factual opinion. <laughs> Spencer, Jerry Jones and uh, Man United, very similar, you know, the Cowboys. Before we should jump on that, but I was trying to get some uh, information to assist you guys. But it looks like Jaden Sancho, I mean, Ten Hag did say he was, um, his training practices, they weren't up to the standard. And now he was talking about how he's on Sancho's side. But what if Jaden Sancho just isn't a good trainer? Kind of like stories yeah. used to like back in the day, but like Carlos Tevez is like awful in training. But during the game, he just shows up and just bosses. No, absolutely. And I want to I make this point clear because maybe I wasn't very clear. I want to be on Sancho's side, but I'm siding with Eric Ten Hag because he's the man in charge. And what he's done last season, I think, deserves uh, his backing, uh, similar to how Arsenal and Arteta, he handled Aubameyang in a way, and they allowed him to do his thing, and it seems like it's paying off. Last season, Ten Hag made the move with Maguire, he made the move with Ronaldo, and now it seems like he's making the move with Sancho. So I think that you have to allow him to do that because he's the man in charge. I can understand a bad trainer and a good player, but sometimes if the manager is the man and you spend money on the manager and you're backing his vision. So the front office is really the one that is holding the cards here. Uh, I wanna make Dele Ali an example. Dele Ali is famously, has never been a good trainer according to Mourinho, uh, and coaches the, uh, past that, but he kind of thrived in the Pochettino. So maybe Sancho would be a good Man United player in the Premier League under a different manager. But the manager 
that is currently there does not believe that that is the case. And so it's either you side with the manager as a front office and you allow him to make that decision and you move forward with that, or you side with the player and you have turmoil. And in Man United's history, they've sided with the player way too many times in the last 10 years. And for a team of Man United's caliber, who's known as, quote unquote, the best team in the Premier League history, um, it's not been working in their favor, siding with the player. We talk about Paul Pogba, uh, amongst others, you know, and, and just allowing the player to control things. And I'm all for player empowerment and stuff like that. But if you're a front office, you got to make a choice. And I don't know, they hold the cards. And if I'm them, I got to side with uh, Ten Hag because it's not like San without Sancho, they can't produce. Again, Garnacho is one who's been great off the bench. Um, talked about Polistri. So they have options. But then the way he's just made this so public, like say Sancho's not the guy and they want him out, doesn't this drastically affect his price tag? And he's on like just out of the world wages. That's kind of the same thing they were. They couldn't get players out. You're paying them too well. Yep. And then to finish their value so drastically, it, it, it's hard to get someone out. But in reality, whose fault is that? Is that the manager's fault or is that the front office's fault? Aha. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> here we are. It's a proxy war. It's a proxy war. And so ultimately, I think the responsibility does fall on the front office. And it's playing out between the manager and an individual player. Who do you back in this instance? Do you back the player? And you say, we're paying, we, we paid a lot to get this guy. We want you to make it work. And does the team suffer in the long run? Or do you say the manager, hey, you, you know what you're doing. We believe in you. If you don't fuck with this guy, then it is what it is. Get him out of here and we'll make it happen. So again, it all falls on the front office, but it's playing out, in my opinion, uh, as a proxy war between the manager and the player. And we've seen that time and time and time again. Man United, of course, being, if we're going to continue on with this Dallas Cowboys analogy, one of the biggest faces in English football. It just seems a bit more public. People talk about it a lot more. There's many more fans. And so it just looks a little bit more ugly. But how do they handle it? I think they've, they've got to really just make a decision as a front office. And that's one thing the Glazers have not done. They haven't done it. In many respects, it's fair. We'll just have to see what um, the H-man feels about this. I'm sure he has a lot to say. And um, it would be nice to have him on the pod to talk about it. Especially uh, because the conversation involved him as well. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, we don't. We definitely don't want to speak for H Man because um, he's been on here long enough, and he knows how to get in contact with all three of us, as we've seen in the past. Sometimes uh, it takes two business weeks, but it's all good. It, it is what it is, like Telegram. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's more concerned with uh, Garnacho's improvement from what I've seen, as well as Anthony Martial, which I'm not sure that's a hill that I could die on again. I already died once, guys. Emphasis <laughs> on again. Long time listeners would know. Yep, I don't have that many lives. I'm not a cat. Okay, so let's move on. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next thing I thought of, and I wanted to do this lastly, but you decided to go get mimosas and bellinis. Yeah. <laughs> transfer window already closed around most of Europe. I'm thinking, you've seen many transfer. What's the most random one that you've seen this window? Oh, uh, um, I think for me still... And obviously, I know the reason uh, the root of the money is the root of all evil. Uh, Milinkovic Savage from Lazio to, uh, to Saudi Arabia. I just didn't see that coming. I thought he was a player that was doing bits uh, in, in Serie A. I thought that he was a key piece for Lazio uh, to the point where the Lazio uh, front office uh, president, I believe, I forget his name, was saying that we've had received offers in the past of upwards of 125, 150 million for him from Serie A clubs. And we've said no. Um, and, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves. And we know Serie A has been, um, in terms of finances, kind of 
taking what they can get, especially for clubs that are not named, uh, you know, the big dogs. And even then, um, so that one was surprising to me. Malinkovic Savage, you mentioned. Uh, Mitrovic. Uh, we saw earlier today Marco Verratti. Oh, I, Qatar, actually. But, yeah, same concept. Um, one of these things is not like the others. And that's what I get with Henderson. And I think that's, like, warrants a deeper conversation about, uh, I don't know, is Jordan Henderson a hypocrite? Yeah, and I think this is a conversation we probably could have had um, all through the summer. But I do agree, it does warrant a deeper conversation. It also begs the question if he if he was uh, uh, Jordanetti Anderson playing for you know uh, Napoli, would it also beg the same sort of uh, conversation? You know, um, him being an English player at the Premier League and also being outspoken uh, about many things. Uh, Kind of it. I think that's the thing more so than anything else hmm. that we're questioning. Like you, you could forgive somebody look on the outside looking in, seeing how outspoken you are about social issues and human issues, and then you go to Saudi Arabia, who lest we forget, while well, yes, they have the bag and they're throwing it around to everybody. It sports washing is <laughs> reign supreme. Sports washing is winning. And, and then he's trying to say he's trying his very hardest to say that he's not there for the money which he's doing a terrible job at it's not giving a good taste in people's uh mouths right now in people's tongues like yeah it's definitely and giving, especially the lgbt bit yeah it's definitely giving we don't believe you we need more people um yeah it, it's <laughs> I guess he's he's made his bed and he's got to line it now. And um, whether it was for the money or not, uh, whether I mean, I don't think it was so he could reconnect with Steven Gerrard. Um, but uh, yeah, he's made his bed. He's got to line it. He's got to deal with the the blowback that he's getting uh, from folks that don't, um, I guess, mesh with this, the whole sports watching thing. Which again is is winning um, if we're if we're keeping score. Um, and yeah, I mean, that is what it is for Henderson. He's going to make his bucks. He's playing in Saudi. It's definitely one, uh, if we're talking random transfers, probably near the top of the list. Did not see him leaving Liverpool or the Premier League, but it's the day and age that we live in now. Two Henderson. things can be true. Yeah. He said something along the lines of wanting to like improve the game around the world or some shit. We think it's about the money. Let's, be, let's keep it real. I think it's about the money. I mean, it it obviously is. But let's take that for, you know, what it is. And let's say, okay, it is about him wanting to improve the game around the world. Two things can be true. You could want to do that. And you could also want to go for the money. Yeah, I think it's just that, like you said, uh, with his sentiments and where he stood socially on things, maybe he's uh, read some books and read and learn some things and maybe has like a mindset change but i don't know i don't i don't believe you buddy um i think that you got got the bag maybe the bag that he probably wouldn't have got anywhere else in europe um and there are people that have the conversation of well europe isn't there are saints or angels in any stretch of the means and again two things can be true but um you you know i think you did what you did in my opinion it's for the money bro you're getting paid and now you gotta eat that LeBron went to Miami. It's a much smaller scale. And he became a villain. You got to eat that. 
you, you got two well, two, two different scenarios, but the sentiment yeah. I get. Yeah, yeah. Twelve million, twelve million pound deal. So I guess that's how much you're willing to sell your supposed beliefs for. Did did um? I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I I listened to a podcast with former ESPN uh, president CEO John Skipper, and then what she basically said: uh, everyone has a number. And um, you know, maybe Saudi hit his number. <laughs> That's your number. That's you lowballed yourself. Well, yeah, I think because his wages were extremely high, and he would have never gotten that at Liverpool, let alone anywhere else in the Premier League or in or in Europe. But um, in the same breath, uh, I guess it just depends on where he is as in his career as a player and where he sees himself. He's projecting himself. He's not killing Mbappe, who's offered almost a billion dollars for one year's salary, and. I think he looked at the market. He looked at what he was worth, and it was a numbers game. That's that's what I feel. I could be wrong. It's just my opinion. According to him, he you are wrong because again, growing the game. Yeah, there you go. I mean, he took his talents to uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Etifah. 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 Yeah, what the fuck? Elsewhere, in terms of transfers, I think if we can put a pin on this, the final one, the weirdest one. One of the weirdest ones, uh, Hota from Celtic making his, his way to Al-Itihad and being left out of the, the, the squad, basically exiled, if you will, um, as the season was beginning and as the transfer market was closing. That was one that was kind of funny um, there, to the point where folks thought that Hota would basically leave Al-Itihad after, you know, just two months after arriving there. Um, I thought that was one that was very interesting. He performed very well at Celtic under Ange Postacoglu, and all of a sudden he was up for grabs again and ultimately was not picked up by any club, at least in Europe or anywhere else. And now he's left out of uh, this, the, the Al-Etihad's squad on the, in the league side, at least, which is, which is insane for um, a young player. Strange. My thing about these Saudi deals is what, what happens to the one players that we never hear from, Mohammed Al, whatever. Like, he just gets thrown to the wayside when you bring in a Benzema, when you bring in a Brozovic, when you bring in a, a Mitrovic, when you bring in a Neymar. Like, what happens to those guys? <laughs> Odiani Gallo, for example. Um, Respectfully, yeah. sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's just the, that's the name of the game, you know. Um, they have to adapt or get left, you know, similar to Messi making it to Inter Miami. I mean, although Messi is very altruistic, I guess, in the way he plays, where he, you know, in, increases the potential of players around him. For example, we talked about a Robert Taylor um, at Al, but yeah, they've got to adapt and, and be part of the squad where they formerly were probably, you know, maybe key pieces. Now they're just support auxiliary guys and that's just what the market is dictating they kind of have to again like uh jordan henderson making his bed they didn't make the bed they just kind of have to eat it that's the market and that's how things are going now uh, saudi's trying to make an impact they're signing key pieces and and um, even more so than that maybe more so than people thought in this summer transfer window who knows what they do in january and next summer but they're making a, a huge impact and those folks that were playing uh as first 11 regulars 
uh, are now finding themselves on the fringe and uh, either have to accept that and kind of adapt and, and, and play their role or maybe increase their level of play to try to compete or, you know, become non-existent, maybe move to a different league or a, a lesser known club and deal with the facts. The one thing's for certain is that the league, based on the way they're adding pieces of quality is on the rise, whether or not that will translate into viewership or marketing dollars and, and all that other stuff, which you assume that that's their goal um, is yet to be seen. But uh, as far as these individual players go, they're going to have to kind of uh, navigate it and they're going to have to adapt and, and roll. Yeah, Fox Sports is jumping on the bag. I'll see, though. I don't know. Everyone has their price. Everyone has their price. The last thing in terms of transfers, then we can get on that international football. Um, Harold Kane went to Bayern Munich. We all know that. Uh, LV especially, you know, your former, you know, your, your guy. That's or maybe ex-guy, now that we have these quotes that recently came out. I'm not sure who he said these to. But he made the comparison between Spurs and Munich. And uh, this is what he had to say. And I quote, we wanted to win at Spurs. But if you were, but if you went a couple games without winning, it wasn't a disaster. At Bayern, you have to win every game. After winning 3-1 and 4-0 in our first two games, it was talk about not being happy about the way we played. Top club mentality. Go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is very. It, it is a bit uh, brutal in his assessment. Uh, one thing you can't take away from Harry Kane, he's a top player. Um, maybe a top player that he gets his due, but maybe not even the credit that he might deserve in terms of the play. Y'all saw that assist that he gave to Kyle Walker uh, as we talk about international football today. A man of uh, many skills and many many talents. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a dig, but how, um, I would have liked it to be, and maybe I'm just going to look at this in this way, but I, I think that I would angle that more towards a, a, a criticism at the front office rather than the, the team that he was playing with, but they both, I mean, the shoe fits on both, both ends. Uh, this is a guy who scored 30 goals last season in a team that finished eighth. He, uh, scored the lion's share of the team's goals. Without him, Spurs could have finished in a place well in the bottom half. Um, that's just the reality. And I mean, this isn't the only season that he's been their best player and then some and has done way more than maybe he should be doing. This is an out-and-out out nine that could score 40, 50 goals a season if that's all that he needed to focus on. But he's a guy, you know, <laughs> who really developed his skill in every which way in order to be as successful as possible. And on the other end, this is a guy who, you know, some would say forced his way into the Champions League final that Spurs played in when he maybe not have maybe may not have been fit to do so. Um, so it, it's funny to see him uh, give his perspective uh, now that he's away from the mess that has been Tottenham Hotspur, at least in the course of my supportership and even before then. Um, but it's not nice to see. But I mean, he's I'm gonna be honest. He's not all the way wrong. He didn't have to. He didn't have to say it. You know, he didn't have to do that. But he's not all the way wrong. He's not all the way wrong. Um, I think Spurs, and I hate to make this a, another thing ultimately about the front offices and it being bigger than the individual's thoughts and even the coach's thoughts, but the Spurs front office, we're making shortcuts in, in hiring huge coaches that have huge personalities and huge expectations and maybe not giving them exactly what they need. And, and Kane, from what I've seen uh, quoted from 
every coach that has coached Spurs has been the utmost trainer, the utmost professional, has performed the best, as, as you can see through his stats and numbers. Um, but yeah, I think it's really the front office's fault. And I wish that his quotes, they do feel a bit subtle towards the front office, but I wish it was a bit more direct because that is the, the true villain. Um, maybe he should have been given a little bit more to work with. Um, maybe they should have replaced Christian Eriksen after they got rid of him. Or Moussa Dembele. Um, need I say more? But yeah, hurts to hear. Um, I don't think that he's all the way wrong. That's not my man. This may be about the board, but I don't see it that way. And I'm not sure if that's your genuine belief on that or if you're just trying to spin this. But I I, I don't know about – because, like, I feel like if this is a reflection of Spurs and it's also a reflection on him, well, yeah, you, you scored 30 goals and stuff like that, you should be having this 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 type of top club mentality at Spurs. We always refer to Spurs as the big six. Yeah. If Spurs are if Spurs do have those run of a couple games without winning, and you're clearly not happy about that, you as a team leader know you know with an armband, but you as a team leader, you should have been up there trying to galvanize the team with Ugo. But yeah, but again, they're you know, for example. Uh, yes, absolutely. This does fall on him. Uh, and I think that he's trying to maybe save a bit of face about his big game playerness. Because uh, uh, all things considered, it's not like Spurs have never been in contention for a cup. There's been many a semi uh, FA Cup semifinal or League Cup final that, uh, you know, we ended up not winning. Um, and Kane was on the pitch for many of those. Um, so he absolutely must accept responsibility if he's a, if he's a star that he is, you know, those stars need to de deliver in those big moments as the stars are you know, expected to do so. But I, I think that ultimately the environment, I mean, you can just look at, for example, not only did he score 30 goals, but I want to emphasize that like the goals that he scored, uh, a lot of them, again, he scored the lion's share, I think somewhere around 40% of the goals that Spurs scored last season, period. Many of those goals uh, were match winning goals or point saving goals. Um, and so he's done really all that he's that he can um and whether whether or not he truly believes that he's a big game player um that's on him and that's on Bayern Munich it's not my problem anymore um but yeah maybe that has that, that is yet to be seen and that is another aspect of his game that he needs to uh I guess sort of reckon with uh, outside of winning cups and maybe he's trying to save a bit of face uh for going to Bayern Munich and maybe um walking into a trophy winning team you know um, although I do believe he can, be, he will be and is showing to be uh, uh, an, an integral side. Uh, and I think he's showing to be an important piece uh, of that trophy-winning team that he's walking into, whatever they have. But maybe he's trying to save a bit of face, um, and that's on him. Um, but I, and I, also, like you can't blame somebody who's seen this and like, okay, you're you're burning bridges. Yeah, but I mean, whether that's his intent or not, you it, for some it, it it will come off that way. Absolutely. And we'll see if Levy feels that way. But if, uh, if you know, Kane gets what he wants and wins and decides to make a comeback to Spurs, will Spurs take him? They absolutely will, because they believe that's what's in their benefit or what, whatever. He, I mean, whatever he's saying. Um, and he's being subtle. And maybe that's why. But I think ultimately um, it, it's harsh. It is, there is some truth to it, but also in the same breath, as you know, you're kind of saying. And this is yeah, this is actually how I feel. I think. He's he's done what he's can what he can. Uh, he scored again many match saving goals, uh, assists, and played in a way that 
really lifted a team that uh, wasn't as good as it could have been. And this is a team that, I mean, I know very well, very, very well. Um, but maybe he's trying to kind of uh, save a bit of face for, again, walking into a team that is ex not only uh, is probably going to win some trophies, but is expected to win trophies. And so, you know, maybe he wants to buffer up his achievements a bit um, and make him feel make himself feel a little bit better about winning the trophies that he ultimately will probably win. On the club level, uh, whether or not England win the Euros, that's a whole other topic. And we mentioned two of the guys that were in their starting 11 against Ukraine. And that match was um, interesting to say the least. Let's go on that international footy. Uh, who saw that one? Uh, Ukraine, England. Yeah, I saw I saw a bit of that one. Uh, I mentioned the Kyle Walker goal, um, which was again assisted by Harry Kane. An excellent, excellent, excellent assist. Um, but I think that the players definitely didn't show up as as maybe they thought. Ukraine battled; they played a, a good match. Um, but oh, I love the international time of year because it's bringing up conversations that we love to have. Maybe. Let me speak for myself that I love to have. Is the manager really that guy? No. Next question. <laughs> He's not. Gareth Southgate. Um, I think that, you know, uh, the he, he's been he's been uh somewhat of an Ole Gunnar Scholzgar for England. Um, maybe a, a bit more pragmatic, maybe a bit more uh, confident, <laughs> maybe a bit more resolute in the way he's doing it. Gareth Gunnar Scholzgar is crazy. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Um, but results-wise, it seems to be this, a similar sort of thing, a team that could do more, that should do more, but just isn't doing more. And you wonder, is it his fault at this point or is it the player's fault? Um, and I don't know. I mean, I guess both are a bit to blame, but Southgate... I don't get why players like Trippier and Tamori are on the bench. I don't get why players like Calvin Phillips is even called up. I don't get why Jordan Henderson is starting. Yeah. I mean, there we go. <laughs> that's that that's that shit right there. But and it's weird with Southgate. He plays the game, uh, and this is the off the pitch game very well because he does the right things, but he also kind of makes mistakes that are just key that you look at and you're like, what is this player doing here? Uh, why is this player playing and you know why was this player selected and why wasn't this player selected um and so i don't know uh, it, it, southgate to me is the one to look at but england in, in themselves uh, this is a, is a qualifier ultimately but they, they aren't doing what they're supposed to do and you got to give kudos to ukraine yes this could have been a ukraine win but it wasn't uh the how how long does he last? Is the Euro his last tournament? Does he go into the next World Cup? We shall see. Yeah, I, I think uh, at this point, you know, there have been many a coach who have been have done better. Uh, Roberto Mancini, I'm looking at you. Um, I mean, that have done better and maybe have not been given the the leash, the length of the leash that Southgate has been given. It's a crazy way to put it, but um, I think that this. Euro is going to be pivotal for his managerial future. Um, and I mean that in many ways. I mean, the selections that he makes, and then ultimately it'll be decided by the results that they have um, and how they do in this Euro. Uh, this is an England team who, to be fair, did very well in the World Cup, uh, knocked out by another Harry Kane uh, miss. Sorry, boy. Uh, 
I mean, I, I might have defended you, but you're not my man anymore. Yeah. Um, same, similar in the Euros, they made it all the way to the final, and uh, it did not work out for them. So I think that the Southgate train may have run its course, um, and the final stop may be um, depending on how their Euro experience goes. If they, and by that I mean I don't know. They might even if they make the final, will that be enough to keep him on for the World Cup? Maybe, but if they don't win, they're just kind of running in circles at this point. I, I mean, I will say, though, he is introducing a bunch of the young talent that England have, but it comes a point where I feel like that talent, much like many generations past, talented English players with you'd assume can compete on a much higher level. Um, and to be fair to Southgate, they've competed at a higher level than any of England's greats have in our, at least our generation, um, and maybe generations past, uh, have competed. But um, they need more, they want more, and this Euro might be it for him. Especially if they stink it up at the Euro. Um, but we shall see. Again, the Euro is still about like 10 months away or so. Oh, yeah. And um, speaking of the Euro, uh, Germany's hosting it. Germany have been absolute shit. Woof. Um, Spencer Prepot said, no, they haven't. Why do we have to have the conversation? But we have to have the conversation about the DFB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the conversation has been long overdue. We've had it in spurts over the last 18 to 24 months um, with their results in the Euro, their results in the past World Cup. You look at the World Cup before this one. Um, Germany have been on the downward slide. Two managers in, obviously, Joachim Love uh, got the boot. Hansi Flick took advantage. Uh, of his uh, success at Bayern Munich, and maybe he was the man for the job. And I mean, as as uh, recent as yesterday, I believe he said as much. He was the man for the job. But I mean, I don't know which way to point it. I think the DFB looks like they're in shambles. Respectfully, they got good players, but they look a shambles. And uh, yeah, Hansi Flick out of here is just another kind of key piece pointing in that in that direction of shit. The toilet is uh, is is visible. It's right there. Yeah, it's. It's been quite the downward spiral. You finished last place in your 2018 World Cup group. You finished outside of the top two in your 2022 World Cup group. And to Hansi Flick's credit, when he first got in there, it looked like he turned things around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You look at the Euro results, too, the last Euro. uh, A lot less. um, And, again, that was, um, I guess... Yogi Love's kind of last-ditch effort, and it, it, it just showed as much that the, there's a bit of uh, disorder, not even a bit, a lot of disorder within the organization, um, with, with be it players that should be included that weren't included, um, and even, you know, out to as far as their performances. Just, just not, not consistent with what we believe German football has done, and even evident based on their, their, their past results, you know, not living up to the standard. Far from it. And they were embarrassed by Japan. They lost to Japan twice in less than a year. Not to take anything away from Japan, it's a Japan team that's probably one of the best teams in Asia, definitely made it to the round of 16 in the World Cup for a reason. They were that good. But Germany are in shambles. And uh, I think the entire federation need to take a look into the mirror because, yeah, we're talking about the men's team, but it's trickling down. The women's team bounced out of the group stage at the World Cup. 
they were unlucky. Like, yeah, you washed Morocco, but you still ended up eliminated. Youth team failed to qualify for the Olympics. Say what you will about the Olympics being an, an important tournament or not. At that age level, it definitely is. And they're in the under-17 World Cup coming up. We'll see how they perform there. But overall, German footy is its not that giant anymore that it once was. Yeah, and, and just going back uh, in their results, I'm doing a bit of research. Um, in their last 14 fixtures, be it competitive or friendlies, I think they've They've only won four. They've drawn a couple, but they've only won four of their last, you know, going back, you know, in terms of the Nations League before the World Cup and then into the World Cup as well. They beat Israel March of 20, uh, 2022. They beat Italy in the Nations League. They beat Peru and Costa Rica. And that's really it. Outside of that, I mean, in, even in their last five, they lost to Belgium in a friendly they lost. They drew the Ukraine. They lost to Poland. They lost to Colombia. They lost to Japan. That's just their last five, and that's not the Germany we know. That's not the Germany that has been uh, on the scene. Even when Germany loses, when Germany are down, I don't know them to be in a position where they're down bad. German football is down bad right now, and that's a fact. Um, they play France this coming week, uh, and then they play the USA a month from now. Those results could be pivotal, but. I mean, who's going to be at the helm? Who knows? Hansi Flick couldn't couldn't withstand it, if you will. But if I had to put uh, put something on it, I think they're missing an out and out nine. They're relying on Kai Havertz, who uh, isn't confidence wise at an all time low. Um, and if you look at some of their nines that are in the game now, uh, you've got Timo Werner as well, who I mean does well when he's outside of the Premier League, but isn't getting the Premier uh, getting the international shine maybe that he should, an opportunity, and maybe rightfully so, but they are lacking an out-and-out out nine, a killer number nine in Germany uh, in their respects, obviously. You, you talked about the old guard. Thomas Muller has always been old reliable, has been always uh, old reliable for them. Um, and then going back before him, Miroslav Klose, but they haven't really kind of rectified that. Maybe it uh, has an effect on them. I don't know. And that's also on the field, too. The issue is with German footy run deeper than that. When across the board, it seems like German footy looks to be shit. Then you really got to look at the Federation as well. Like, yo, you're not going to sack every single manager that couldn't go as far as they could have. You're not like, you, you have to do some type of restructuring and stuff like that. Because this Germany team should still not be losing to Japan 4-1. That German women's team shouldn't have been out of the group stage of the World Cup, their worst ever finish. Germany are a good youth side, good enough to make the Olympics, and now they're missing out on it. We, the, the, it's institutional at this point. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point, because if you look at the Bundesliga, we talk about a league that's been very competitive um, and with plenty of German talent. And I guess also to give the German uh, Federation a bit of credence, they they have been implementing younger players, you know, Florian Burtz, who's pretty young, um, you know, Schlotterbeck, who's not the oldest as well. But they just kind of, I, I just don't know if they're, if they're doing it to put young guys out there for the sake of them getting experience, big game experience. But there doesn't seem to be a bit of cohesion. And I think you're right. It um, definitely is deeper than just on the pitch or even on a managerial level, perhaps. 
something's uh, something's a stinky. Something uh, they need. They got some explaining to do. And we get these are friendlies, but the Euro is right around the corner, and it's the Euro on home soil. If Germany embarrasses themselves at home at the Euro, it, it, it at that point it will be too little, too late. So it Oof. would be best to rectify whatever issues the men's national team has now. And then whatever the women's national team has to rectify, they'll do that during the Nations League, which is brand new on the women's side, and that will be their Olympic qualifier as well. But especially more so pressing on the men's national team side, it's embarrassing. And save yourself the embarrassment of fucking up in the Euro at home. Yeah, that'll get real, real ugly. So you have to assume that they're <laughs> investing some time and effort into that. Because, yeah, I don't think that they can perform poorly at the Euro. Um, I don't even know where it goes from there. Or you could listen to Spencer and not change a thing, right, Spence? Yep, keep it the same. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it is broke, I think. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what what they could do. Um, it, it's looking it's looking funny. They look very funny in the light. And uh, since Yogi Love was on his dying days, it was bad. And Hansi Flick. Uh, I mean, they had a bit of momentum at, at the Euro, um, and that was just kind of washed out very quickly. And then that same sort of energy they had at the World Cup washed out very quickly, like group stage quickly. Um, and so, I don't know. The next Euro, it could be very ugly, very ugly. I'd love to be there to see that, though. The mess. Speaking of mess, uh, let's quickly touch USA. Boring. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, three nothing winners over Uzbekistan, but that score is very flattering to the game we saw. Case in point, that game was ass. Greg Berhalter was supposed to come out guns of swinging against little old Uzbekistan, and to Uzbekistan's credit, they did play a decent game. To the U.S.'s discredit, they were bad. Yeah. Um. I mean, you mentioned it quite a while ago. They probably should have been playing better competition to... Yes, Mexico played Australia last night. Yeah, yeah. They should have been playing Japan, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, they were scared of that 4-1 ass whooping. Yeah, they sure were. But it would have given, you know, them a sort of a a litmus test into how good they are uh, if this summer's results didn't kind of, uh, I guess, give them an idea of where the team is uh, on an international level, and it would have given the fans something to kind of rally behind and and, and also under- get a sort of an understanding. But I feel like the U.S. is kind of walking on eggshells. They don't want to do too much and, and look bad. But it's like we're kind of out in the water now. It's sink or swim. And they're they're choosing to use the floaty and, um, you know, <laughs> swim in the, you know, the three feet, four feet kiddie pool area. Get in the deep end, man. Do some laps. And they're just getting your feet wet. Yeah, if that, you know, you know, do some laps. Come on. Because I think the fans deserve that. And I think the team deserves that. If we want to excel, if we want to grow the game, which we, I think we've been doing, we're at the best we've ever been, um, whatever you might think that that is. But you got to get your feet, but you got to take some risks and you got to kind of see where you are if you really want to improve. 
Um, and they are not doing that. They're playing it safe, which I think is corny. Yes, very uh, lacks ambition, if you will. And I feel like part of the players was like, they seriously buy into Burhalter. Whereas someone on the outside sees like, yo, Burhalter is ass. Like, maybe I'm being too harsh, LT. But I don't think like when you had a chance to move on from from him, you should have brought like a you should have brought somebody and rejuvenate that squad. But no, you, you played it safe and here we are, barely getting well, I can't even say barely because it was three nothing, but you you're barely getting a one-nothing result through 80, 85 minutes, and then you score two late goals. Yeah, similar to Arsenal with Man United over uh we talked about um yeah i think i mean and i was trying to give Berhalter a bit of credit during the world cup i thought that he did a decent job thought the states did a decent job and i thought it was something to kind of build off of but when they had the chance like you said to replace him they didn't they played it safe it was unambitious and i don't know that leaves a lot to be desired by fans and it just feels like are we gonna move forward or aren't we and this summer's results internationally on a CONCACAF level kind of showed that maybe we aren't you win the Nations League, but at the same time, you get bounced by Panama in the Gold Cup. And speaking of moving forward, that's something that he hasn't been doing with Gio Reyna. <sighs> that's all I got. <laughs> Simply put, this is a story that just doesn't want to end again. Yes, Gio fucked up at the World Cup, but he has since apologized for fucking up. And what his family did has nothing to do with him. Why are you talking to Vanity Fair about how you're going to go about talking to Gio Reyna when all that time could have been spent into talking to Gio Reyna? Facts. Who the fuck cares about Vanity Fair at a time like this? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. He's injured in September, by the way. That's why I wasn't called up. But still, just the fact that you haven't mended the bridge yet and it's been... How many months, weeks, months since you've been reappointed? I probably would have done that. That would have been the first thing I would have done. But yeah. Y'all hear Luis Rubiales? <laughs> oh, when you hear Luis Rubiales say, No, why they made it on the podcast, that could only mean one time, Alvi. Ah, yes, the Rubiales, uh, sponsored by Luis Rubiales, his remarks over the season. BS of the week is here. Nobody is doing like what some journalists do when they write bullshit. Wow, you are afraid to say it, but it's all bullshit stories. What is it? Most of the times it's, uh, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, we have to begin BS of the Week by providing an update on Luis Rubiales. 
uh, last week we mentioned that his mom locked herself in a church going on hunger strike for her son, which is wild. And he also asked uh, UEFA to suspend Barcelona and Real Madrid, all the Spanish clubs from European competition, because Bruh. they're doing my man's dirty. Bruh. But the biggest news happening this week was the interim charge of the Spanish FA sacking manager Jorge Bilda. Yeah, it was a, a decision that was met with a lot of, I guess, applause, for lack of a better term. We we do recall Las Quince, the 15 players who initially boycotted before the World Cup, and then a lot of those players came back. Uh, he was at the heart of that. So no more Jorge Vilda, and in his place, Motse Tome, the first ever women woman to coach the women's national team in Spain. So before we get to Rubiales himself, thoughts on the coaching? <laughs> um, it's a complete shit show. All of it is a complete shit show. You uh, know it. <laughs> I think that, that's just where I stand. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I don't know. They need a, it's, I guess it does, it does make sense that they're just showing that they did need a, a rewiring of everything. Um, a bunch of bad actors, bad people's on every side, and um, yeah, it's just a shit show. It's nasty. It stinks. BS. Ugh. <laughs> Jenny and Mosel, for her part, officially filed a complaint against Rubiales to the Spanish prosecutors, and they're looking to you know ban the man for life. But uh, the man himself, Luis Rubiales. Today, Sunday, day of recording, has officially announced his resignation from the Art Fest. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> um, he had a long quote. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> he resigned on Piers Morgan. Oh my God. <laughs> I cannot continue my job. The attitude of me. Hold on. I got to get the full shit. The full shit. Hold on. This. I, I didn't even know he did this on Piers Morgan, to be honest with you. After this suspension of FIFA, plus all other proceedings opened up against me, it's evident that I cannot go back to my position. Uh, insisting on waiting and holding on will not contribute anything positive, not to the Federation nor to Spanish football. My father, my daughter's. I spoke with them. They know it's not a question about me. Rubiales said in the interview with Piers Morgan via the Washington Post, some friends very close to me say, Luis, you have to focus on your dignity and to continue your life because you are going to damage the people you love. In this situation now, this is the thing I have to do. You said bye, bye, bye. Uh, what else? Uh, and thank God. Good riddance. Um... It was a long time coming. I mean, this guy was scrambling, scrambling, if you will. And uh, <laughs> just a, like, ugh. Like, if, I just don't even, <laughs> I don't even really know anymore. I don't know the words to, to say, but uh, long time coming should have happened, should have should have been happened. Uh, shame on all the folks that were clapping him when he said, no boy, I'll dimitir. Like, y'all all look crazy. <laughs> y'all all look crazy. And uh, yeah, he's out of here. No, no, y'all didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> see ya. Got him. 
<laughs> um, so, um, speaking of getting them, uh, I'm going to the group chats, and I sent y'alls a clip of Mexican footy. Oh my goodness. I just want to get the guy's name right. Speaking of sexual misconduct. <laughs> I mean, if you want to call it that. He said, pull over that ass too fat. Beep, beep. So, Omar Mendoza, this is the match between Querétaro and Atlas. This is the fifth week of Mexican footy. This happened earlier in the month, but I'm just now coming across this this week. Um, he plays a, uh, an Atlas midfielder. I think he was a midfielder. And, you know, trying to, like, get him off the ball. I mean, man did everything he had to. He literally, with his hand, just, like, forcibly feels himself up upon the Atlas player's um, manhole, if you will. <laughs> that's, um, one, that's one way to put it. Literally, uh, he was just straight up fingered the player, which is absolutely insane. That was a tip drill. Credit card swipe. VAR reviews this, and the player gets sent off, and the player himself is lodging a plea like, "Why am I getting sent off?" Cause you freaky boy. Ask him out first. Shit. At least buy him coffee at the very least. What are we doing? Coffee, go get him some flowers. Damn. Nah, but that was what I've never seen someone just like do that he in footy. He was searching for the butthole. Basically, I don't know what would be the equivalent or what would have what would be similar that we've seen in footy, but I've not seen that. That was Trump grabbing by the pussy. Sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry. Oh, locker room talking Mexico. Sorry. While he digs in his opponent's uh, b-hole, why don't you dig into what your BS of the week is? Hey, all right. We're going to keep this uh, Spanish-centric because it's been crazy, crazy <laughs> in Spanish football. All right. I was thinking in my head, I'm like, what does Javier Tebas have to, do, have to say about any of what's going on here? Um, but it turns out he's a little bit too busy. Uh, being accused of providing false evidence to harm Barcelona during the uh, Negreira case, um, which we remember over the last couple of months has been Barcelona's uh, inquest into paying off referees or having in relationships with ex-referees, the referee committees. Um, it has now been reported by Cronica Libre, who, uh, end quote, went under a joint investigation with La Vanguardia, uh, Javier Tebas, La Liga president, as we know, very outspoken. Apparently, uh, there are claims that uh, he's been outspoken over the matter, as he always is, and he provided false information to the prosecutor's office, which has been used to harm Barcelona. Hmm, Tebas, do we have an agenda, my friend? So, in searching for what Tebas had had to say about this entire incident with the Spanish FA and Luis Rubiales, I've come to find out that he's dealing with his own mess. Uh, all that yapping and outspokenness, if you will, has gotten him into a bit of an issue. There's a lot, I guess, within this that I'm just going to, I guess, read a, a bit of a quote to kind of give some context if it will help. Uh, so Tebas presented a letter to the prosecutor's office on the 22nd of February. This is a quote, by the way, which also included a handwritten note from former Barcelona director Josep Contreras, who died in December. Wow. Uh, Tebas reportedly noted that the names 
Roman Abogado, Rosel, and Jose Maria, which are referenced in the letter, could refer could refer to Sandro, uh, Rosel, and Jose Maria Bartomeu, and Roman Abogado to Roman Gomez Ponti, who was formerly responsible for the club's legal services. However, this is where it gets sticky. The report claims that the letter was dated 20 years ago, before Rosel and Bartomeu took their respective presidencies. Jesus. Um, the report states that the three names in reality actually correspond to some workers in context of the Contreras family of the 80s and 90s, none of which have any relation to Barcelona. So, uh, case in point, Tebas digging up old stuff that has nothing to do with what's going on now in order to make Barcelona look funny in their refereeing case. Tebas, <laughs> Tebas what you getting into, fam? Yes, of the week. Hey, man. I, in, in one respect, I, I respect everything you're trying to do to get your ops out the paint. I get it. But I concur with the BS of the week wholeheartedly. Yeah, if you're going to do it, do it right, fam. Do it right. And that's all I got for y'all. I know Spencer doesn't have BS of the week, so shout outs. I know Spencer's riding with me on a Javier Tebas hating on Barcelona. <laughs> but that, that was a good one. That's, you got you to gotta work hard for that hate. Oh, jeez. Um, I guess another shout out. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but another shout out to Ronnie's guy. Can you help me with this one, Ronnie? Hey, good setup. <laughs> Lionel Messi, he scored that banger of a free kick against Ecuador. That is my guy. Oh, close, close, but not quite That's the right close. country. This guy plays for Brazil. Let's narrow it down a little Vinny bit. Vinny Jr. is hurt, so I don't know how to. I mean, I'll shout him out for his recovery. He's he's doing a good job recovering, so shout out to Vinny Jr. Oh, no. We're playing football tic tac toe. He wears number 10 for Brazil, plays for PSG, used to play for PSG, if you will. Just broke the goal scoring record. Shout out to Neymar. Ah, oh, that's his name. That's his name. <laughs> shout out to Neymar. Not my guy, but shout out to Neymar. <laughs> Any thoughts on him breaking the goal scoring record, breaking Pele's goal scoring record? Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> we go, hey, that's that's as nice as we're ever gonna get. So we we gotta take. That. I mean, he did what he had to do. He did, but if you ask the Brazilian FA, apparently they're fighting that because Pele scored a thousand goals and a half. Yeah, I think he scored a goal against me recently. Rest in peace. Rest in, peace. Rest in the peace. afterlife. Yeah, rest in peace. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> I've got a quick shout out. Shout out to Kyle Walker getting his first goal for England, the international team. Look at that. Okay. 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 Shots to Honduras, even though we lost to Jamaica. We're playing international footy. So these are qualifiers for Copa America. So, you know, hope for the best, expect the worst. Nami. Boom, pow. Happy to be here. Hoping to be happy for a little bit more than that. Neither here nor there. And with that being said. Gonduras, baby. <laughs> Ronnie, would you like to go ahead and sign the boys off uh, for episode 151? Yes, episode 151 of the Football Misfits has come to a close. We thank you all for listening and interacting with us on the socials, on Instagram, at Footy Misfits. A lot of love from the On Location series. Hey. Something that we haven't even spoken about since it happened, but maybe we'll get to that soon. Um, And yeah, episode 152 is right around the corner. So for El Pistoleto, who will only have that name for like two more weeks, and for the data desk, I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you then. Do stay strong. Be eternally brave. H-Man, pull up. Adios, everybody. Woo-wee. The thing goes good luck.